So what do you know about fasting? When's, when's the last time you fasted? <laughs> um, like most people, the massive majority of Christians today are kind of unfamiliar with fasting. It's, it's one of those things. There's a lot of uncomfortable disciplines and doctrines in the Scripture that um, we kind of start ignoring because we live in a, a place, a time where comfort is pre, uh, at a premium, it's a priority. And so things that make us uncomfortable are things that we tend to avoid, we tend to ignore, we tend to pass over in Scripture. Fasting, I think, is one of those. Uh, it's not because we haven't read our Bibles. It's that sometimes we just don't, um, aren't willing to subject ourselves to that, or we think it applies to something different. We live in a society also that, um, in which society, uh, this society in which food is, is so uh, prevalent, is such an important part of our culture, that um, I think it's something that doesn't even resonate with us or dawn uh, on us. Now, you probably have fasted, if you thought about it. You've been and had a physical lately. You have to fast, right, when you go to see the doctor. They say, you know, fast from, it's not really a fast if you have a morning appointment. It's what I always do. I say, I want the earliest appointment because you're going to make me fast. That means I can't eat after midnight, which I'm not going to anyway. So it just delays breakfast a little bit, right? Go in at 7. You do what? Okay, so you might skip a meal or what would have been a meal or shift it forward, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, usually if we... Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. We, we understand what fasting is. Fasting is abstinence. Abstinence primarily from food, but it can be from other things. If you're reading along uh, or have been are reading Martin Lloyd Jones's book, uh, he will uh, make the case that he believes there are other things that you can fast from. I tend to believe that's true too. I think primarily that it is food, though, and um, and there's lots of reasons for that. I think. There is a physiological component to this that happens when you uh, put aside food and uh, for a time. Now, somebody mentioned this that it's it's not this is not a diet, right? It's not a diet. It's not to uh, to lose weight. It's not for the doctor. I mean, he does those things so that he can check us uh, accurately. <clears throat> um, but it's, it is to set aside food, which is something that we do, we need. It's sustenance for the body. It keeps us moving, energetic. So it's putting that aside, and instead of eating food, we are substituting time with the Lord. We're, we're focusing on God, primarily in prayer. So 
we exchange this. We, we put food off and we put on uh, prayer, scripture, meditation, In other words, we're seeking the Lord, we're seeking God during that time as opposed to maintaining the body. Does that make sense? Voluntarily going without food <clears throat> for the sake of some spiritual purpose. Now, when's the last time you thought about that? I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud, but just think about the last time you participated in a true spiritual fast, you know, where you were actually praying instead of eating. For most of us, when we read the scripture and realize that it went on as much as it did and, um, and that it is a, uh, an encouraged discipline, Jesus doesn't say if you do, but he says when you do, when you fast. So it was a regular part. It was a regular part of their culture primarily because of the Jews practiced it. Um, if you remember Luke chapter 18, we keep going to this story. The, uh, the uh, Pharisee and the, uh, the tax collector. Luke chapter 18. And the reason it becomes such a great illustration for what Christ is unpacking here in the Sermon on the Mount. Because it provides such a contrast between attitudes kingdom attitudes versus the world attitudes. This is the Pharisee and the tax collector. He told this parable, this is verse 9 of chapter 18 in Luke, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What does he say? Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I fast twice a week. This was the pattern. This was their pattern. This is this was part of their ritual. They did it every week. Now, <clears throat> I don't know that that fits necessarily um, what the Bible teaches about fasting. What I understand fasting to be is more of a, uh, a direct response to a particular need or circumstance or um, opportunity, event that may be going on. For instance, 9-11. 9-11 hit. It, it is biblical. It was a biblical model for people to turn to the Lord in fasting and prayer in response to that event, seeking the Lord's intervention, seeking the Lord to do something, to, to come closer, to make His presence known to us. Uh, you might do the same thing if you, you know, you lost your job um, last week. Then a, 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 a right response would be a time of fasting and prayer to seek the Lord because you want to know what, what is going on. Something has changed dramatically. This is a major shift in our lives. So God saw this coming, and so I want to get close to Him. I want to draw near to Him so that I can understand what he's doing or what he wants to do in my life right now. So, uh, or, uh, you know, a bad diagnosis from the doctor and fasting and prayer is, is certainly uh, a way of responding to that. 
So you see it in Scripture over and over where God's people call upon Him in fasting and prayer. Uh, it's <clears throat> In our culture, though, it's a countercultural um, effort in what is a very consumeristic society, right? So depriving ourselves, abstaining from something, is just not a part of the way we think. It's, it's kind of something we just don't. And, you know, we have all kinds of different reasons not to do it. Uh, some have health issues where they, they can't do that. They, they simply have to have a regular ongoing intake of food in order to keep their bodies balanced and all those kind of things. So there can be things like, like that that uh, work against it. One of the things that happens when you fast and pray, and it can be one meal once a week, you know, I don't know how effective that is because as we've just talked about, um, you do that, you know, periodically just because you get busy or doing something else. So if you're thinking about this is something I'm setting aside so that I can devote this time and this energy and rather than uh, satisfy a physical need, I'm going to seek spiritual connection with the Lord. I'm going to speak, seek a spiritual um, elevation, you know, I'm going to want to elevate my connection to God, then um, skipping one meal, I don't know how desperate that appears. You know, it's, it's kind of a desperation to, to cry out to God. It's, it's reaching and stretching, wanting to reach God in, in a new and fresh way. So uh, to skip one meal, I don't know if that I don't know how intense that comes across. Do you? Uh, when we know we skip meals all the time. If we, um, you may skip two. You may do a, a fast during the day. You know, maybe it's two meals, uh, um, a lunch and dinner or breakfast and, and dinner or something of that nature. I don't know. But uh, different people have, have taken on different fasts. Some will take more extended lengths of uh, fasts and they will... Uh, do a juice fast. You know, they'll consume water and, and juice in order to provide nutrients to the body, uh, but, they, but they don't um, take, take food into the stomach, and that's a way of fasting. We know Scripture talks about extended fasts, right? Jesus fasted for 40 days, didn't he? Moses also fasted 40 days. Is that right? Mm-hmm. You sure? Yeah. You know where that's at? <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. We know we know Jesus did. Now, most of us would be hard pressed to go forty minutes without eating, right? In our culture, that's the kind of society we live in. We are so inundated with stuff. The idea of going forty days without food, when you know you're not on a uh, laying in a hospital bed in the emergency room, which we know some people have done that because they had to, but to willingly, voluntarily put off food for 40 days, uh, you can imagine what that does to you physically. And yet that's what Jesus did when he went out into the wilderness before he began his ministry. Again, getting ready to begin the ministry. You know, he's, he's 30-ish years of age. He's beginning this three years of intense ministry with the, that will culminate, that will climax at the cross of Calvary. So he begins it with this intense period of fasting and prayer 
and along with it came temptation. You can rest assured that anytime you set yourself to make a commitment to draw nearer to God, You make a commitment like that, no matter what it may be, you can expect that the enemy is going to press harder into your life. And we saw that he did that with Christ, with the, temp with the temptations. Exodus 34, 28. So he was there, talking about Moses, he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant. Yeah, okay. So when he went up on Mount Sinai, he's, he's getting uh, the law. Moses went without food for 40 days. Others did. We know Elijah did. Uh, so it's a common practice in the Scripture. <clears throat> it's a yearning and longing for God, for His will and His kingdom. Why we fast? We fast in this life because we believe in the life to come. We don't have to get it all here and now because we have a promise that we We'll have it all in the coming age. We fast from what we can see and taste because we have tasted and seen the goodness of the invisible and infinite God and are desperately hungry for more of Him. So you think about that. We think about God, that our connection with God, our experience with God, and we're driven to want more of that, and so we withdraw. Prayer is a withdrawal from the world in order to fellowship with God, Fasting intensifies that withdrawal. Fasting pulls away from the physical things, the physical gratification, the, fit of the, the physical dependency that we have. It's putting all those things on hold in order to spend that energy, that time, to invest it in drawing nearer to God. <clears throat> Fasting is stretching our hearts to get fresh air beyond the pain and trouble around us. It is for the battle against the sin and weakness inside us. Uh, in A Hunger for God, John Piper records Carl Lundquist's testimony about learning to fast. I, I want to read that for you uh, because I, I thought it was... Uh, it really helps us understand the differences in culture. Um, you know, we're talking about our westernized culture and how we're not given... We don't think this way. You know, when, when things are going amiss or when, when um, a church budget is suffering or when the church is not fulfilling its purpose like Scripture tells us we ought to be, you know, our first response to those kinds of things is usually what? Usually it's to complain, isn't it? It's to point out what's wrong, what, what everybody's doing wrong, or why it's not happening. We look for a scapegoat. But Scripture tells us that our response should be to turn to the Lord. And we turn, because God permits things to occur to drive us to Him. You know, He allows, he allows suffering, He allows brokenness to enter our lives because He is drawing us to Him. He wants us to look to Him. The, the uh, account of um, Abraham with Isaac. You know, Isaac is probably almost a grown man in Genesis 22. And God tells Abraham to do what? To take Isaac up on the mount and offer him as a sacrifice. 
Okay? So you can imagine Abraham waited 25 years as an old man for this promise that was to be the fulfillment, the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to him to make a great nation of him. And now God's telling him to give him up. And so all the way up the mountain with Isaac, they're going, there's, you know, Isaac says, Dad, I see the wood, I see the fire, but, you know, there's no ram. What's up with that? And Abraham doesn't really understand other than he's trying his best to trust God in this. And what happens? He, he lays him down on the altar. He's prepared to take his life. He raises the knife to plunge it into his bosom and kill him. And God says, stop. Why? Remember? God tells Abraham, because now I know you love me. That you trust me. That you didn't trust me. You're not trusting me because of what I gave you. You trust me because you trust me. That's what he's after. That relationship. And so when, when things happen, transpire in our lives, things that are uncomfortable, things that are difficult, you know, God is allowing those, not because he's a cruel God wanting to punish us for some reason, but because he's a good God who wants to show his grace and mercy and love to us in the heat of that moment. And he wants us to draw near to him. Very often, you know, we do, but we just do long enough to get relief, right? Just relieve it. Uh, so fasting is a way of simulating that, knowing that we need to draw near to God. And so we, we take the physical things away in order to turn to God and, and to lean into him and seek that closeness, to draw near to him, to know him and his purpose and plans and only that. So anyway, our culture doesn't do that. Even our Christian culture in, in America is not acquainted with this. But listen to this. Uh, let's see. Carl Lundquist was president of Bethel College Seminary for almost 30 years, died in 1991 from skin cancer. In the last decade of his life, he devoted a lot of energy to studying and promoting personal spiritual devotion and the disciplines of the Christian life. He even established what he called the Evangelical Order of the Burning Heart and began to send out a periodic letter of inspiration and encouragement. In the September 1989 letter, he told the story of how he first began to take fasting seriously. Here's what he wrote. My own serious consideration of fasting as a spiritual discipline began as a result of visiting Dr. Jun Gon Kim in Seoul, Korea. It is true, I asked him. Is it true, I asked him, that you spent 40 days in fasting prior to the evangelism crusade in 1980? Yes, he responded, it is true. Dr. Kim was chairman of the crusade, expected to bring a, bring a million people to Yoido Plaza, but six months before the meeting, the police informed him they were revoking the permission for the crusade. Korea at that time was in political turmoil, and Seoul was under martial law. The officers decided they could not take the risk of having so many people together in one place. So Dr. Kim and some associates went to a prayer mountain, and there, where, where's our prayer mountain? Do you know? I mean, they have a prayer mountain, right? This is the place they go to pray. 
So Dr. Kim and some associates went to a prayer mountain and there spent 40 days before God in prayer and fasting for the crusade. Then they returned and made their way to the police station. Oh, said the officer when he saw Dr. Kim, we have changed our mind and you can have your meeting. As I went back to the hotel, I reflected that I had never fasted like that. Perhaps I had never desired a work of God with the same intensity. His body is marked by many 40-day fasts during his long spiritual leadership of God's work in Asia. Also, however, I hadn't seen the miracles Dr. Kim has. Maybe one of the reasons that Christianity in Western society seems so anemic is because we're not, we're not putting it in God's hands. We're not trusting God to do it. We're trying, we're trying to engineer it and fix it from our perspective, in our way, in our time, in our energy. We're treating it like corporate America. And this is, this is a discussion, I can't tell you how many times I have it, but you know the church may have to employ certain corporate um, characteristics, but we're not, we're not a business. We're not a corporation. We never have been, never will be. That's not God's intent. We're an organism that's alive with the Spirit of God. And you can't, you can't run it like a business. When you do, it will die. It will die. You put, it, you put it on a respirator, and it's as good as dead uh, when you start using the, uh, the principles that go on in the world. God says he has his own unique divine economy, the, the way, the basis that things work. Fasting's a huge part of that. It is reminding ourselves that apart from God, we got no hope for anything. we got no hope for anything to accomplish. And so what churches do, churches... They run the gamut. They run out of ideas or things don't go the way that they think they should or it's not measuring up to the way they should. So we double down and we try to pragmatically figure out ways to fix everything and correct everything and solve it. But we never think about turning to the Lord in fasting and prayer and seeing what He wants to do and when He wants to do it and how He wants to do it. That's a foreign concept to us, isn't it? I mean, it is. Our first instinct is to sit down and have a brainstorming session to figure out what we need to do, right? <clears throat> when Jesus returns, all fasting will be done. There will be no more need for it. It's a temporary measure for this life and age to enrich our joy in Jesus. It prepares our hearts for the next age for seeing him face to face. And when he returns, he will not call a fast, but he will throw a feast. All holy abstinence will have served its glorious purpose. It will be seen by all for the stunning gift that it was. Until then, we will fast. So, fasting. Um, so I want to I give you six things to think about. I'm not, I'm not calling you to fast. Not yet. Six things to think about if you were going to fast. These are, these are the ways that you would begin to think about fasting. I do think that it's something that the church in 2020 America should be thinking about and challenging itself to consider. <clears throat> Fasting's not easy. It's hard. Has anybody, have you ever tried to fast? Anybody ever tried to do a fast, a spiritual fast? Yeah. Um... You know, it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. You know, you try to withdraw from things and you go without food and all you can think about is food. 
you know. But that's that's part of the challenge is pressing through that and directing your attention to Christ instead of the food, which then becomes your food and nourishes you and brings you through that, that physical longing for food by filling you spiritually. That makes sense? It's not like I chased myself around that one, didn't I? Um, it sounds a lot easier in concept, but, but then it proves to be in practice. Uh, many people who begin to fast, they, they don't realize until they miss a meal how much it's going to uh, hurt or challenge them. Uh, so six thoughts for effectively planning a fast. One would be to start small. out tomorrow you know you said Linda you said you never tried it well if you came up tonight and said I'm gonna start a 40-day fast tomorrow I'd say don't do it that's not the way to do it right we're setting ourselves up for failure so you start small you know like you were talking about a meal you know a meal once a week or at a specific time and say that I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to eat during this period of time like I normally would uh, then maybe you try the two meals and work your way up to a day-long fast. Uh, perhaps even try a two-day juice fast or something, you know. Um, allow yourself <clears throat> time to kind of work into that. Secondly, you need to plan what you'll do. During the fast. Yeah. Yeah, what are you what are you going to do instead of eating? You know, if you're just going to go sit in your room and look out the window, that's a bad that's a bad thing too, right? Because you're, I mean, John, you said earlier that you didn't eat this morning because you got busy, right? You were preoccupied with something else, so your mind really wasn't on food. You know, we've all done that. We've gotten busy working or something, and worked through lunch or something, and you know. It's in the back of your mind. It's, it's there in the pit of your stomach. You can feel it. You know you're hungry, but it's not like you're sitting idle thinking about food. It's, it's, just, a, it's just something in the periphery. Um, so plan what you'll do instead of eating. It isn't merely intended to be an act of self-deprivation, but a spiritual discipline for seeking more of God's fullness, which means we should have a plan for what positive pursuit to undertake in the time it normally takes to eat. We spend a lot of time each day with food in front of us, don't we? Preparing it or sitting in front of it. Uh, I mean, it's a big part of our lives, you know. We look forward to gathering together with friends around a table, and these are good things. Food's a good thing. So putting it aside, knowing the, the positive associations with it, putting it aside in order to turn our attention to God is why it's such an effective tool in drawing nearer to God and uh, experiencing uh, more fullness of your relationship with Him. So one part of fasting is the time it creates for prayer and meditation on God's Word or some act of love for others. But before diving headlong into a fast, you need to craft a plan. You need to have something set up that you're going to do during that time and connect it to your overall purpose for the fast. Thirdly, you need to consider how it's going to affect others.
know, if you decide on your own that you're going to fast and you go home and your wife or has fixed dinner, it's not going to it's not going to be a good situation, you know. So it's something that you have to talk over with people that are near to you and let them know what you're doing and uh, have them kind of get on board with it. It's also a great opportunity for those, if you do have regular gatherings with people, it's a good opportunity if it's going to interrupt that to uh, talk about it and help, you know, and to share some things about your relationship with Christ. You should try different kinds, different forms. of fasting. A typical form of fasting is personal, private, and partial, but we find a variety of forms in the Bible, personal and communal, private and public, congregational and national, regular and occasional, absolute and partial. Partial might be one meal a day. It might be no food, but taking in water, taking in drink. Um, an absolute fast may be going without everything, going having nothing. Is there an unusual difficulty in the church or society? I mean, we just came through. Uh, Bill, you referenced it at dinner. You know the the uh, things going on with uh, with our government um, and some of the some of that stuff that's uh, unfolded before us. I mean that that would be a worthy cause to fast and pray for. That uh, that people would, um, I don't know, uh, get some brain transplants or something. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 people would that our politicians would stop acting like middle schoolers. You know, and grow up and be adults again. Um, You can fast from something other than food, as I mentioned and alluded to earlier. It's about some of the health conditions that can prevent you from a traditional fast. Fasting's not limited to abstaining from food. Martin Lloyd-Jones said fasting should really be to include, uh, should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. Uh, you could you could fast from television. You could fast from your smartphone. You can fast from social media. You can fast uh, from any number of things. Um, you and your spouse could fast from sex. There, anything that you're accustomed to participating in that you're going to stop in order to spend that time seeking the Lord is is a worthwhile fast. I think food is still number one in priority in effectiveness and everything but these others you don't underestimate the importance that they can they can play um, I've had some of my girls have done this they've fasted from um, soft drinks you know I'm not going to drink a soft drink for a year that's like a Nazarite vow or something you know um, and they did it uh, I've heard them say they were going to Go off of social media, you know, and they may have some other alternatives. I don't know that you call it a total fast because I'm not sure they were looking at the spiritual side of that as much as they were looking at the abstinence to, to get away and break some habits 
of being on it and feeling like they needed to be on it. Kind of untethering themselves from dependency on those things. <clears throat> if the better part of wisdom for you and your health condition is not to go without food, consider fasting from some of these things, television, computer, social media, or some other enjoyment that would bend your heart toward greater enjoyment. Maybe you're a person that, you know, you have to go fishing every day. So you might abstain from that and spend that time doing something else. I don't want to plow too close to the corn here. I'm trying not to. You know, I'm trying to be an equal opportunity offender tonight. Jerry, may I ask a question? Yeah. So when you think about the spiritual fasting, if it's more biblical, in today's time frame, what would you say most people's duration of a fast is? Is it a day or two days? I think that would be hard to say. I mean, different people do different. You know, it's so convoluted today. I mean, a lot of people do mix it in with dieting. You know, it's a spiritual spiritual way to talk about, you know, going on a diet. You think you're going to lose some weight. Um, and it, it rarely ever helps you do that because when you stop feeding the body, your metabolism shuts down to protect the fat and things that you have. So... Uh, it doesn't accomplish that. But I would say most people probably do a, a day fast or a meal fast uh, in, in our culture today mm -hmm. in Western society in America. Mm -hmm. Now, you go to, you go outside of our country to some of these other places like we referenced here in Korea, and you'll find, you'll still find people doing 40 days or 14 days. Or... A friend of mine, their church does it beginning of the year. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, you know, what you find in, uh, you know, Muslims do it with Ramadan. They fast during the day when the sun's up. But what they do is when the sun goes down, then they party. You know, they pig out and party. So is that really a fast? You know, it's not. It, it's, uh, it's a ritual is what it is. Um, I fasted for two and a half days one time, and I thought I was going to die. You know, it's just, I don't know how anybody could do 40 days. Um, I mean, I'm guessing it's like running. You know, you used to, you could run, you hit a runner's high where you feel like you could just run forever once you broke through that. So fasting's probably similar to that. You start to say something? Oh, in Ukraine, it's 40 days before Easter every year. But you, is it a total fast? Or is it like a fast every day? No meat, no milk. So no dairy. So it's a kosher, it's a kosher fast, but you eat other things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whole country. Whole country. Does everybody get ill, irritable? When you say the whole country, are you talking about believers? Yeah, right, right, okay. You know, Michael will tell you that after living in Turkey for, I mean, in Central Asia for the last nine or ten years, that during Ramadan, you know, it's awful because everybody's irritable, everybody's angry, you know, they go all day without drinking and eating, and then at night they gorge themselves, and so they don't sleep at night because they're up eating and drinking and partying, and then during the day everybody's irritable because they can't eat. Um, so... What what you know that that's very legalistic. It's not that's not the intent of what this is about. This is a withdrawal 
and spending time seeking the Lord. Uh, and most of these fasts are designed with that in mind, but it's just degenerated into, you know, a legalistic, uh, physical flagellation, you know, to punish ourselves and make us feel like we're more pious than we really are. Can I ask you a question again? Yeah. About your, your three days of fast. Did you, you said you basically ran into a two and a half. Okay, you ran into a wall. Did you, did you find the first day or two not so bad? Were you able to focus on what you were looking for? Uh, I'm, yeah, I mean, to a degree. Uh, I mean, I, I, um, I'm not sure, John, if I were to be totally honest, if I approached it uh, as, I mean, this has been years ago. Um, if I approached it, one thing you don't do with a fast is you don't go do a fast to get something. You know, I mean, people think if I fast, God will bless and do this. And, and it's, you know, it's about more of God. It's not about getting anything beyond that. And I think... Um, I'm not sure that I was, I'm, number one, I'm not sure God actually called or, or petitioned me to fast. I think it was something that I was doing because it was novel. I thought I should. I thought it would make me spiritual. So I'm not sure my thinking was where it needed to be. It wasn't out of a desperation, desire, but more out of a, you know, try it kind of thing. So was it beneficial? It was. But, you know, I've not done one like that since. Isn't it more mental, too? Like, training, like, your brain, like, you have to get and you can clearly get in a place where the food that you're not having isn't appropriate. Yeah, well, let's, let's, let's see if we can make an analogy here that, that can help us with this. Um, all of us have been through time, you've been through a time of incredible stress. And when you go through a time of incredible stress, a lot of times you lose your appetite, don't you? You just, you don't want to eat. And, and so it's in those times that people drop weight, they get a little bit more gaunt because they're not able to eat, they don't desire to eat. Um, a fast, a genuine fast, I think follows after that pattern a little bit. But it's not stress-driven. It's driven by a desire for God, for knowing Him and being known by Him and embracing Him. And, and because of that, you lose your infatuation with the physical hunger side of it. I'm not saying that there's not some challenges, but I think when this is something that God has truly placed on your heart, so you've got a conviction because he has something in store for you in that. And I do think it should be induced by God that maybe through an event, maybe through a challenge that you're facing, but it's something that God, I think, has to impress upon us that this is what we need to do at this time. Uh, that, okay, I just got this bad news or this event's going on or I'm concerned for this person who's lost and it drives me to want to uh, embrace God to know God and and so I'm putting everything else aside and pursuing him in that way and I think when it's done in that manner then God enables us you know food becomes a, a truly secondary tertiary issue it's not it's not a uh, it's not the driving thing that it is in our lives 
most of the time, right? I mean, most of us, we get up from the table after eating, we go sit down, turn on the TV. As soon as you turn it on, you go, you know, I need something to eat, munch on, right? We associate food with everything, with fellowship, with friends, with, you know, you go to the movie theater and sit down to watch a movie, you got to have popcorn, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, what's the, I, go to the, I go to the movie to eat popcorn. I don't go to watch the movie, you know? Uh, I tried to fast a couple times over my Christian walk, and it, it really wasn't, I mean, I call it a day, and it, it really wasn't so much, I think, a craving for food. I just got in a funk. It wasn't like where I thought I needed to be. It yeah. wasn't like, I mean, I run and I get that spiritual high, I had it found that fasting. So. Well, I don't know that you're going to sense some sort of a high from it. I, I think that you're going you're gonna to sense, and... Um, you know, it, it's something that we do privately that we don't broadcast necessarily unless we agree to do something like that as like a church body. We could agree to do it. But it's something that's supposed to be private. It's not something that we broadcast for others to see in us. Um, and, I mean, you, you look at the picture in Scripture of people who fast, and Jesus is just saying when you fast, don't put on your gloomy face, you know, Go ahead and wash your face and comb your hair and act like it's a normal day, you know? In other words, don't do it to be seen by others and thought to be more pious than you are, but you're doing it. It's, it's about the relationship with Christ. It's about your time with Him. And, and so, you know, what comes out of that, you know? That's why you got to have a plan is that I'm going to pray, I'm going to read my Bible and meditate upon Scripture, and... If my focus is on nurturing the relationship with God, then I can't really know what that's going to look like at the end of it, right? I may think in my mind, well, you know, I want this to be the Mount of Transfiguration, but that may not be what God's got in store. He may say, the fact that you're willing to take that day out of your schedule and put away physical gratifications and lean on me it may not feel like anything spectacular, but you don't know spiritually what God's done in you through that. Does that make sense? So I wouldn't expect to walk away with some sort of a high from it necessarily. I think, I think there might be some gratification in knowing that you know, I did what God wanted me to do and I spent time with the Lord today rather than going about my normal routines. And that's worth something. And who knows how God's going to use that to shape me down the road. I mean, I know what you're talking about. You really just come out of it thinking, I can't wait to get something to eat, you know. <laughs> um, and that's why I'm not sure if mine was correctly motivated at the time. And I've tried to be very careful with it since then. I mean, I've, I've fasted for a day or for a couple of meals, but I've never sat down and said, I'm going to do this for a certain amount of time, like some big thing, because it starts getting into that mindset of, it's about the event rather than what I'm hoping to nurture here. Sure. And you'll and you'll see very um, very strong examples of that in you know we we're talking about the abuses on the Muslim side, but there's a lot of very 
devout Muslims that, you know, do it the right way and, and would go and, and have extended fast. Some people physiologically are bent in a direction that they're able to do that better than others. You know what I'm saying? Um, but that's not, that's not to take anything away from it. I'm just saying that, yeah, every, every religion has its disciplines that they want you to follow. And so that's why Christians, when we do it, we have to be careful that we're not just doing it as a ritual, but that it really is about something that God's stirred in our hearts to do in order to, to seek Him, because uh, that's not what they do. You know, they do it out of a ritualistic obligation. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, I'm associated fasting, especially in the time of Jesus, with giving up the time to eat, to have time to pray. Right. To seek God. That's right. And, you know, today we live in a very different society. We spend probably less time eating than we do watching sports or fishing or whatever. So obviously giving up that. Yeah. Not only eating, but giving up the time to watch a sporting event or whatever to pray. Uh, and, you know, what I don't understand is the time limit. If you seek the will of God, you're willing to put something aside and seek His will. You may not get an answer for a day, a week, or, you know, what is a time frame? So I don't know how you, to fast to put a little time limit on it. Well, I mean, again, that's why God has to lead it. Um, you, you can't just sit down and arbitrarily say, I'm going to do this for X number of days. I, I think you want to be careful that God is scripting this for you. And, and you're right. It can be, there are lots of things in our culture today that, but, but you can't minimize the impact physiologically of going without food. There's a different quality there than there is in bypassing television or some of these gadgets that we're connected to. When you go without food, there are things that happen inside the body that, that are different than anything else. And um, you reach a point, and, and I would say maybe I experienced a little bit of this in, in the three, two and a half, three day fast that I was on, where, you know, the mind does kind of, how do I say this? You know, as we go through regular daily life, I don't know how yours work, but I guess it works like mine. You know, our, our brains are scattered, you know, they, they're there's so much stuff going on that it's easy for our brains to chase it, like a dog with a rabbit running across the yard, you know? Anything that happens, we kind of get focused on it. But in a time of fasting, the brain becomes more centered on spiritual things and more on God. It becomes uh, keenly sharp, sharp, sharper in those times. And that so there's a physiological aspect of it as the rest of the body kind of slows down you know the the energy and stuff for the body kind of transfers to the brain and spirit included in that and so you're more susceptible i think to um to lean into god to listen to god to um, draw near to god which is what the, the purpose is Again, that's not to say that some of these others won't have some similar impact, but 
that's that's the fine, the purpose behind it. You know, you look at Daniel's uh, friends in in uh, Babylon. You know, they they didn't fast from food, but they changed the the food rules. You know, I mean, as a test. So there's lots of different things uh, at work there. Uh, let's see. I gave you four. Did I give you the fifth one? Fast from something other than food. I'm not going to write it. That's number five. And then don't think of white elephants. When your stomach, when your empty stomach starts to growl and begins sending your brain every feed me signal it can, don't be content to let your mind dwell on the fact that you haven't eaten. If you make it through with an iron will that says no to your stomach but doesn't turn your mind's eye elsewhere, it says more about your love for food than your love for God. Christian fasting turns its attention to Jesus or some great cause of His in the world. Christian fasting seeks to take the pains of hunger and transpose them into the key of some eternal anthem, whether it's fighting against some sin or pleading for someone's salvation or for the cause of the unborn or longing for a greater taste of Jesus. So, these guys were accustomed to using fasting as a way of impressing people, okay? They walked around, gloomy face, dust and ashes, so everyone knew they were fasting. Oh, look at James, boy, he's fasting today. That guy fasts all the time. What a super Christian he is. You know, that's what they were doing, and Jesus is straightening that out and saying, don't put on the gloomy face, wash your face, comb your hair, don't let anybody know what's going on. It's bigger than this. Those who do this, he says, I tell you, you have received your reward. The fact that people are praising you because they think you're pious is your reward. Anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, He will reward you. He will draw near. Okay? Any other questions?